Episode 1 The Witching Hour I had this aunt who lived in the village. She hated me with a passion. To her, I was the human embodiment of the devil incarnate. When I was little, she would bully my naive young mother into taking me to the village pastor for these grueling random exorcisms. It was terrifying. She's dead now though, thank God. Thing is though, to this day, I have these random graphic dreams where I kill her with my bare hands. I know, I know, it's very un-African of me. You have to respect your elders and all that nonsense. Even if they kind of fuck up the adults you become. The irony is, the way my life has turned out, she might have been onto something. There's a terrifying anxiety that comes over me whenever I walk about downtown Kampala. It's not the expected trepidation of the Boda Boda men or the idlers who'll yell or heckle at me. I've learned to ignore all the, Hey sister sister, my size, hey, why are you feeling proud? Are you too good for me? That kind of sexual harassment and aggression is something I started bracing myself against ages ago. It started when I was nine. These tiny nipple buds became visible through my school uniform. Men, especially Ugandan men, have never quite gotten the concept of propriety. Once, my mother decided to treat me to new sneakers, so we went to the second-hand market in Owino. I vividly remember getting my first public anxiety attack as those salesmen there continuously brushed their hands over the front of my shirt at every single store we passed. I guess that's when the slumping started. I started standing and looking down so that these tiny alien things that had started growing on my chest wouldn't be quite so noticeable. I'm 28 now and have an old lady's tube posture. The streets are always packed with people. It's like a stirring broth of humanity. Colorful, dusty, aromatic and chaotic. I once read that Kampala is one of the most populated urban African countries. More and more people moved here years ago and now it's the hometown for most of the newer generation. People only go to their villages to bury their dead. These days, I pay more attention to what's going on around me. I always wonder, what's everyone thinking? What monstrosities have they seen? People have become more fascinating to me lately. It's a constant battle between the distaste of having other people touch you worrying that a pickpocket has managed to slip your phone out of your pocket and being jostled in every other direction because you aren't walking in the same frenzied manner like everyone else. It's a proper nightmare to a person like me. This happens more often too. People asking me what my gender is. I'm a lanky tall person with barely any breasts. They're there, trust me, they're there. But with my bad posture, and the fact that they're barely a handful, 
I get asked indignantly because of course Ugandans do everything with some sort of indignation. They ask me if I'm a man or a woman. It's humiliating especially when other bystanders laugh or give their opinions on the matter. This street preacher has my arm in a vice. I'm trying to pull it away and get out of here but it's hard to do that when the shakes start. These are the pitfalls of having anxiety in a place like this. I come to Nana Hostel every other week. There's this uni student who I buy weed from. Usually when I get there, she hands me the goods, I pay and get out. Simple, no conversation, proper transaction. She's been getting overly chatty the past two times I've been here though. It annoys me to no end. Like, she's she's a good person. I bet she's really nice. It's just that I'm not here for this. It took me an embarrassing while to get what she was trying to do. And when I did, I just felt weary. The whole secrecy thing associated with being gay in Uganda is one of the biggest motivators for how relationships start here. That and the loneliness that grows from the seclusion. Loneliness pushes most of us to seek out company with other lonely people. Even if you may have nothing else in common with that person, other than the fact that you both like sleeping with people of the same gender. There is the comfort of knowing that the person you are with won't sell you out to the police or your neighbors. They won't get you locked up or killed. That's, that's important. They won't post love-filled posts of you on social media and get your parents to disown you, stuff like that. My plug's name is, let's just call her Uni Girl. I know her through some acquaintance I met at a queer party a while ago. I looked her up on Facebook the other day. Pretty sure I saw her father photographed at one of those conservative anti-gay rallies. He's a huge proponent for all the religious and traditional bullshit that basically makes life hell for most of us. He spends all his time moralizing about decency, anti-pornography, and anti-homosexuality. Just last week, he was at that press conference with that lunatic celebrity pastor who went viral a couple of years ago for that whole eat the poopoo thing. They were going on about digging out the unashamed homosexuals who flaunt their depravity on social media. Something like that. I've met quite a number of these well-off closeted kids. At best, you'll dead for two months before they toss you aside. I don't want to waste my time or ruin the whole plug situation, so I've been ignoring all the hints just dropped. So just like before, I pay for my stuff and head back home. Out of idleness, I got high last night and decided to photograph nighttime Kampala, the red areas, you know? It's closer to where I stay. Sex workers don't like getting photographed, which is quite understandable. Most of them are uni students who do this just to get by, and one of the worst places to do this kind of work is Uganda. I also didn't want to get beat up by them in case they thought I was taking pictures of them. So I circled around and crept around the abandoned buildings in that area. I must have been blazed out of my mind because no woman in her right mind would be doing that lest they get violated out there. Honestly, the photos I took that night were duds. They were poorly lit, you know, 
complete rubbish. I was making my way out of one of the more abandoned buildings in that area when I heard a sound. A voice calling out to me from one of the buildings I had just left. At first it was indistinct. I figured it was the wind or some random sound from one of the couples I had stumbled upon fucking. I was already getting worried about the prospect of getting my camera robbed or worse. And the fact that I was a lone woman walking in this area was just fully hitting me. I increased my pace in the dark. It was probably around 2, two, two or 3 a.m., you know? The witching hour, like we used to get told as kids. As I stumbled blindly through the detritus, my name, and this time it came more audibly. Naka, Nakalanzi, Nakalasi, Nguita, Manyompulida. I'm calling you, I know you hear me. There's a woman saying my name with this gleeful mouth in her voice. I don't even know why I stopped. Instinct was screaming at me to make a run for it, but my legs wouldn't budge. Once, when I was younger, we got this new maid at home, an older lady. She told the best scary stories. They had me bound and enraptured. Our neighbor was ill and the whole neighborhood was speculating on why he wouldn't wake up from this stupor. His wife was telling people that he had had his name being called, assumed it was her calling him and responded. Apparently the minute he responded he had dropped down and hadn't woken up since. I was confused because I responded every single time my name got called, assuming it was one of the adults. You always got punished if you didn't respond immediately when summoned. The maid had sat me down with this serious expression on her face and told me to be wary about doing that. Never answer any random summons. First identify the voice calling you always, eh? You understand, eh? It could be a spirit. There are spirits, small ones, working for Walumbe, the death god. Those kinds of spirits call out to people. If you respond, you are answering death and welcoming it, Mr. Mukasa will surely, surely die within the week. I'm sure he answered death. And she wasn't wrong. He died that week. It was the first barrier I had ever attended. I've come a long way from that little girl who got her thrills from the fright such stories would give her. Life has a way of making one a cynic, and it can make you laugh away anything supernatural. When I was 12, I was so scared of the dark that I constantly wet my bed. I had to be sent to a pastor to get the spirit of fear prayed out of me as my mom called it. It didn't work, I just got better at handling that fear rationally the older I got. So standing shaking in terror in that abandoned building as that woman called out my name and got closer, all of my coping mechanisms flew out of the window. I just kept repeating to myself in my head, don't respond, don't say a word, don't say a word, don't say a word. I pissed myself when I felt the warmth of a body close to me. Naka, I 
think it's rude to ignore someone when they politely call out to you. All I want is a little company and conversation. Is that too much to ask for? Don't I also deserve that small, small comfort? Isn't that what you came all the way out here to do? The wetness of my pants was making them stick to my thighs and legs. A small paddle collecting at my feet. A cold breath brushed against my ear. My eyes fixated ahead of me. I wouldn't let myself look behind me lest I made eye contact with whatever was taunting me. I get so lonely here, you know? It's incredibly hard to have any stimulating dialogue while the feels start ratting and grunting around me. When I got here, I figured it would be a good hunting ground. Most of these girls stink of desperation and loneliness. And half the time, they want to off themselves by the time they're done with all the, you know, transactions. Thing is, more than half of them are from the village. There's no one as superstitious as village girls. Start calling out one girl's name and the rest will hear about it and avoid the place. So imagine my delight when you walked into my building. I could feel her nails grazing my back and a huge shudder went through me. My knees almost buckling. I kept reminding myself mentally, don't look, don't say a word, don't look, don't say a word. I stood there in the dark for hours, clearly shivering. The night's cold having seeped into my bones faster because of the wetness of my urine-soaked pants. I was also totally sober by then. The joint I had smoked earlier, all effects gone. The voice was repeatedly saying my name, in variations of dark anger, rage, hysteria and mirth. I could feel its frustrations. The emotions washing over me as the hours went by. I don't know how long I stood there. The background sound of the, of the working girls faded by then and dawn starting to light up the buildings. I can't for the life of me tell you exactly when the unseen woman's whispering stopped. It just hit me like a gut punch that it was morning. I could see more clearly ahead of me and that aside from the chirping birds I was totally alone. For all I know she could have left me hours prior and my terror had frozen me in that spot thereafter. My legs gave under me and I fell to my knees. I dry heaved violence saliva for a while, the sharp stink of urine emanating from me, a full-on anxiety attack hitting me with such tremendous force I curled up into a ball on the urine-soaked dirt and shook for what felt like forever. When I had myself under control, I got up, tried to dust myself off but it was futile. I looked and felt disgusting. It was five in the morning and as I walked back to my place, all the early morning risers were warily eyeing me. I didn't even care, I could still feel that, that niggling malicious presence at my back. The gleeful laughter was still ringing in my ears. I opened all the windows in my room the minute I got in, turned on the radio full blast, gulped down half a bottle of Uganda Waraji. I didn't even care that it burnt my throat. When I was feeling properly drunk, I smoked a joint and passed out. 
It's been a week since all of that weirdness happened. Two days ago, I got a message from the uni girl. She said she needed my help. She needed some photos taken of this event the radio station she's interning at was holding. The photographer had cancelled last minute and I would get paid. I needed the money so I went. She greeted me at the entrance and showed me where I would set up. She was totally professional about the whole thing. I did my bit, took all the promo pictures, you know, the usual corporate dinner stuff. At around 1, I figured no one would mind if I started drinking on the job, so I hit the bar. Feeling a bit tipsy later on, I went outside for some air and a smoke. I wasn't paying attention to much of anything except sneaking in that cigarette break without anyone respectable seeing me and judging me for it. It got quiet suddenly, and someone called out to me. I realized with horror that in my need to hide my smoking, I had drifted to the darkest corner in the compound. This time around, when I felt that woman's nails at my back, my body stiffened up. I closed my eyes tightly, my lips clamping around the cigarette in my mouth. The voice didn't say anything, just a low, silent, amused chuckle from behind me. I could smell the cigarette burning itself to the filter, the sharp, acrid smell of the filter drifting into my nostrils. I was terrified I was going to sneeze. Thankfully, the uni girl took that moment to come out looking for me for a chat. I was too frightened to go back home that night, so I ended up going to some bar that closed in the early hours of the morning after that job. I'm trying to avoid sleeping in dark rooms. I try to avoid poorly lit social events too. The only time I leave my place these days is to go to restock at Unigal's place and if someone books me for photography sessions. I specify on my website that I only do daytime bookings now. I wrote down the events of that day on my photography blog the other day. Even put up those blurry awful pictures of the buildings I had taken. It was more in a cathartic get it out of their manner. If I wrote it down, put it out in the world, it would seem inconsequential and I'd be able to move on. It sort of did and didn't. A week ago, the emails started coming in, other people telling me about the encounters of the strange and the weird here. I think I've become that masochistic, frightened little girl again, terrified and enraptured as the maid tells me of the things hiding under my bed. I've decided to record some of the stories I get from the emails I've received. Figured I would couple the audio to the written account on my blog. Something else has been bothering me ever since that Kabbalah Gala night. This, this bloody song would play every single time the woman spoke or was around me. I'm pretty sure it played at the radio event too, like right before I realized she was near me. It's been niggling at me. First, I thought it was some random Kadongo Kamu song on repeat, but I'm pretty sure it's all her. You know, I had an aunt who lived over some cliffs overlooking Punishment Island. When I stayed with her, she played that song day in and day out. Even up to now, I don't think I can forget it. Thank you.
Punishment Island Episode 1, The Witching Hour, written and performed by Masembe. Music featured in the episode was Mystic by Yusuf Asidebe. You can listen or download the show on all podcast platforms at your convenience. Please subscribe, rate and write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen from. Find me online at Punishment Island on Instagram, Tumblr or Punishment Island Pod on Twitter. Thank you. Mueva de